Tampa, Florida in the football stadium watching Alabama play Clemson in the national championship game. And I found out in about the first quarter, I get a phone call from my wife saying my dad has taken a turn for the worse. So that was the least enjoyable football game I've ever watched. We ended up leaving early and rushing home as fast as we could in a safe manner without wrecking and you know, doing without sleep too much. But we got home and it wasn't many days later that my dad went to be with Jesus. And it was an answer to prayer at that point because the suffering was so intense. Uh, we were all praying at that point that he would go on to be uh, with the Father. And so he was in Christ. Say amen when you can. And uh, I was able to baptize him and my mom three years ago. And so that day of seeing my, my, my dad transition to the next, uh, to really the biggest phase of his life, um, eternity, was a, was a pleasant one. As pleasant as it can be. Um, but I want to share something else with you. I want to share, uh, on the way here, I got a phone call. I don't know what it is about being at these exciting events and then on the way getting bad news. But I got more bad news on the way here. And I want to let you guys know so that you can join me in prayer. Uh, but I found out that my mom had her take-home test just like my dad did when we first found out that he had uh, colon cancer. And so her test just came back positive as well. So I just found that out yesterday. And so uh, we're okay, though. And God is good uh, all the time, and all the time God is good. We're going to say a prayer. I'm going to ask that you join me in that uh, for my mom uh, before we begin. And uh, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the, the power of the one we're praying to, I should say. And uh, so let's, let's go to the Father in prayer. God, uh, I want to pray for my mom. You know what's going on inside her body better than the doctors, better than anyone knows. And Father, you know um, the appointed day that she will come to be with you. And Father, we want to be faithful, all of us. When, when things like this happen to loved ones, when people that we love the most dear in the world... When horrible things like this happen, that's just a part of this world and just a part of the, the fallen nature of it, Father. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around sometimes, but Father, we want to trust you and we want to depend on you in those times. So Father, I pray for healing uh, for my mom, but I also pray even more so that she would remain faithful to the end if the end is sooner than we wish. And Father, I pray for the faith of the folks in this room when circumstances arise, Father, that, that their faith will, will be beyond that. It will transcend the circumstance and we will be able to live for you in this world and set an example to those that are watching us. I pray that we will not have the same dread and fear of death as everyone else in the world because we know Jesus, the one who conquered it. So Father, be with me today as I share some things, Father, uh, about revival and about reviving ministry. Bless me to be your mouthpiece this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining me in that. I want us to uh, begin this morning talking about reviving your ministry. That's what I've been tasked with, uh, with talking about today. And I want to begin in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse What? Something's wrong. He's not breathing. 
What do you mean he's not breathing? Get him up here. Hurry. What, you, what happened? I don't know. Don't you know CPR? Why aren't you doing CPR? Son, what are you doing? Wake up. Come on, Nathan. Come on. He's not breathing. Call 911. Come on. Nathan. Mackie. That's enough. I can't get away. Mackie. I got to stop. Mackie, that's enough. Come on, he's gone. Whew, I was a little more in character than I wanted to be. <laughs> uh, all right, I introduced you my dummy here. Uh, I call my son that sometimes, but that's not really my son. <clears throat> Whew. I know my acting skills aren't that good. But we're talking about revival. And I want to raise your hand if you know CPR. All right, raise your hand if you've ever had to do CPR on someone. Yeah, was it successful? It's a tough thing. You know, this is an actual CPR dummy. I was able to secure that uh, on loan uh, from Red Cross in Huntsville. But uh, one of the things that happens in CPR, it's a very violent activity to resuscitate somebody, to bring someone back to life that's lost their pulse or that's lost the ability to breathe. It's a very difficult and violent process. In fact, very often the sternum bone or even some ribs will be cracked in the process of reviving the individual. And yet it's worth it. Right? No one wakes up and says, why did you crack my sternum? But they say, wow, that hurts, but man, I'm breathing. It's a good thing. And you know, the thing that occurred to me as I was asked to talk about reviving our ministries is that in order to revive something, that means that its condition before revival was in need of revival. Are you following me? Yeah. It means that something was either dying or dead before the revival needed to take place. And so I do want to start with Jeremiah before I was so, uh, well... Not really rude, it was my son's life at stake. I was going to say so rudely interrupted. But turn over to Jeremiah if you have a Bible. And let's see uh, what this says here. It's up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Jeremiah 6 verse 14, it says, They dressed the wound of my people as though it were not what? Not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. How many times have you said peace, peace when there was no peace? Let me help you. How about if someone said, how you doing? And you smile and say, fine. But on the inside, you know you're not fine. You're saying peace, peace when there is no peace. You're hiding emotions that need to be let out. And until they're let out, there's no revival going to take place. We have to recognize the seriousness of the situation before revival can take place. Uh, 
When we talk about reviving our ministries, one point I want to make is that it's really, it is our ministry only though because God has entrusted it to us. Right? He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. But it's His ministry. And we need to not lose sight of that. Somehow we get, we, you know, we get big heads and we think, man, look at what I'm doing. Look at what we're accomplishing. But man, this is God's ministry. Don't ever forget it. And guess what, guys? If you start getting the big head, just remember that if God wanted to, He would use rocks instead of you. And once upon a time, He used a donkey. Anybody in here named Jack? <laughs> yeah, ain't none of us special. And God doesn't need any of us. Find the most talented, dynamic, amazing guy in the world. And God does not need that guy. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. But he does want to use us. When you think about revival, and I don't know what you, what you expected me to say about how to revive your ministry, but when you think about revival, I want you to first, your mind to instantly go to what is God going to do, not what can we do. Because revival comes only when God decides it's going to come. Now, there are some things that we can prepare ourselves for and get ready for God to use us. And we'll talk about some of those things. But it is God who provides the power for revival. And I want you to remember these three things. If, if you know CPR, you know the idea of an AED, right? Right? An automated external what? Defibrillator. That's hard to say, boy. Defibrillator. All right, this is the shock paddles. When they say clear, right, and you get clear because otherwise you're going to get shocked too. I want you to remember these three things. It's my little cute, uh, what do you call this, an anagram? Or no, not an anagram, an acronym. Is that right? Acronym? We'll go with acronym. The first thing you're going to do is assess the problem. The second thing you're going to do is you're going to engage the problem. And the third thing you're going to do is you're going to define your role in solving the problem. And I want to go through these one by one and talk about each of them in the, in the context of God's Word and what He has to say about these things. You know, I said in order to uh, revive something, it had to either be dying or dead. And that's described to us here. Man, this thing keeps going way past when I tell it to go. Go back one for me. This isn't working. Yeah, go back one for me. That's forward. Go back. <laughs> the other direction. Nope, you're going the wrong way. Oh, okay. One more. There we go. Nope, that's not it. One more. All right, here we go. To the church in Sardis, this is what was written... Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. And guys, you know when you're going to have success doing CPR is when they're not all the way dead. I'm, not, I'm talking like three-day-old death, that's a God thing at that point, right? 
That's not something we're resuscitating. That's not something we're bringing back. You know, give me some minutes, you know, him, him dead for a few minutes or something. I think beyond four or five minutes, there's brain damage and stuff. Um, but we can, we can do some things if it's not too far gone. In this case, they had to pull me off because he was too far gone. But you know what? What would have happened? What would have happened if this little guy got up and started walking around and breathing? I'd have left. I'm just being real. I would have left the room. Y'all could have St. Louis. I'd be back in Huntsville. Um, but listen, if God had been performing the CPR, he would be walking around saying, I'm a real boy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> God can make some stuff happen that you don't have the ability to make happen. And you, you have to remember that, guys. As you're dealing with people in ministry, as you're dealing with hearts that are stubborn, sometimes it takes the hand of God to reach in and do His thing. No amount of preaching or convincing or work on your part may work. You've got to have God in the process. Another part of our problem, we, we've got to recognize the problem. We've got to assess the problem. And part of assessing is understanding all the components of the problem. One is you're either almost dead or dead. The other part of it is you have an enemy. The thief, Jesus says, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to the full or give it to you more abundantly. But we have an enemy. I want you to see a, a, a parable that Jesus um, gives in Matthew 13, 24 through 28. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and get this, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good? seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this. What I want you to notice is the highlighted part here. It says, when did the enemy come, guys? When? When you were what? Sleeping. Anybody in here struggle with getting up out of bed? You're lazy. You're a sluggard. You're slothful. Those are the, the words in the Bible that describe the sin. Y'all smiling like it's nothing serious. But man, the Bible says if you love sleep, you've got a major problem. You're not supposed to love sleep. And I think one of the reasons, and this helps me, guys, because I don't just enjoy not sleeping, okay? I like to sleep. I try not to love it. And part of the way that it helps me not love it is by thinking in my, in my head, I wonder what the devil's going to do while I lay down tonight. I wonder what he's going to undo that I spent all my days working on, I wonder what he's going to do at night when I'm asleep and I've lost a little bit of control. Anybody ever see that, man? You're like with a, I spend a lot of time with, with young couples and, and college students and you'll think you had this nice counseling session with this person and everything's going good. Maybe the couple's strong and, and things are just looking bright and you don't see them for two days, just two days. And you get a phone call, and between the time you were with them and that two-day period, and suddenly everything has fallen apart. You wonder why? 
Because the devil, you see, Satan, whatever you want to call him, there's a lot of names for him, a lot of things have been written about him. <coughs> we don't know all the answers to this concept of this personage, Satan, this character, or whatever he is, this demonic entity that shows up as a serpent in one case and shows up as like a disciple in another when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. We don't understand all the ins and outs of Satan, Lucifer, fallen angel, devil, demon, all this kind of stuff. But you know one thing I'm certain of? I'm certain that he works overtime while we're all too often working part-time. And we are not assessing the problem properly. We have someone who is out to kill us and kill everyone that we love. And we are not taking it serious enough. When you see that, you see that car parked outside of that apartment, and you know that car belongs to the opposite sex, and you know they're alone, and you drive by anyway, and you don't stop and park your car right in front of it so they can't get out, and you go knock on the door, and so you make something happen. You don't do that. You just go by, and then next week, you get a phone call saying, I'm pregnant. What am I going to do? All is lost. We don't assess the problem, and we're not working hard. We're not trying to make sure, thank you, that the enemy does not get ahead of us. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, it's a familiar passage, but I want to call it to our remembrance. Paul says this to the young man. He says, mark this. That means write it down. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be what? You know there's a whole list after this, right? But I stopped here because there's a commentary, there's a famous commentary actually, that makes a comment about this verse and he stops right here before he gets on to the rest of the list because he says this first one in the list, he says, is the sewer pipeline that all the rest that follow will flow through. I want you to think about it. Look at the remainder list. The first one on the list, the sewer pipeline that the rest flow through is, they love themselves. Look at the rest. Why would you love money? Unless you loved yourself. Why would you boast? Unless you loved yourself. Would pride be there? Unless you loved yourself? And you could go down the list, man. Disobedient to parents. Rather do it your way because you love your way. You love yourself more than you love someone else telling you what to do. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. Why? Because you're too busy loving yourself. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and having a form of godliness but denying its power. You know what I think about when I hear that phrase and I think about the idea of loving yourself? There's a lot of books out there that tell you you can't love somebody else unless you love yourself first. You heard that nonsense? It's nonsense! You say, well, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. No, it doesn't. Jesus says the opposite. And he's the one that rose from the dead. So if what he says sounds crazy, guess what? He ain't the crazy one. We are. And he says, man, if you don't hate... He even puts father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife, yes, even your own life. You can't be my disciple. 
Oh, you got to love yourself before you can love anybody else. What? No. Guys, selfishness, I've found, is at the root of most of our problems. And, and even as leaders, guys, we, we sort of coddle to this idea. We even build churches and whole structures and whole curriculums and whole like ministries are developed and, and put into play based on what people want and feel like they should have. Well, there's not a ministry for me and my demographic and my age bracket, so I need one of those for me. And we hear stuff like that and say, yeah, that makes sense. We ought to give them something. No, no, wait. There's something off. There's something fundamentally off. If, we, if our foundation for creating an entire ministry or an entire program or whatever it is, if it's centered on because I want it, and it's not centered on God. What do you want? How can I get outside of myself? And how can I hate myself for the sake of someone else? And let me build something on that kind of foundation. See, if we want revival, there is a role that we have to play. But it's mostly getting ourselves out of the way. And stop loving ourselves and start loving other people. And loving God. The second one is engage the problem. The first one is assess the problem. We've got to be familiar with this. Man, we've got an enemy. It's, we're talking life and death kind of stuff. If you're going to revive something, it's already dead or dying. We've got an enemy, and we're fighting against ourselves because we love ourselves too much. And we find ourselves in terrible times. The second thing, though, is we've got to engage the problem. Isaiah says it pretty well. Zion will be restored by justice. Those who repent will be, what? Revived by righteousness. You want revival? Well, you don't plan an event and say, all right, for these next seven days, we're going to have a big tent revival. We're going to preach the revival into existence. We're going to music the revival into existence. We're going to create this atmosphere that gets everybody all emotional and tense, and, and that's revival. Wrong! Revival happens fundamentally when we make up our mind that we're going to repent, that we're going to change our mind and think differently. Y'all yep. know that's the definition of repent, right? That word was never actually properly translated. People died over the translation of this word, and it never seems to have gotten it right in any, in any translation that I can find. The Greek word is metanoia. It literally means to change your mind, and yet we got this weird little word called repent. And it's change your mind. It's all it's ever been. We got all these weird definitions of repent. Like it's a 180 degree turn and go to God. Where did we get that? I mean, it sounds cool. That's not what it is. It's not a change of behavior. That's what the Bible calls the fruit of repentance. Fruit of repentance and repentance are two different things. And that's significant because we can change behavior without changing our mind. We can have a behavior change without repentance being present. It's just not going to last. You're speeding down the highway and you see a cop, what do you do? You adjust your pedal, don't you? 
You let off the gas, you tap the brake, at least till he gets to the back end of your car, and you don't want him to see your brake lights and, and catch you. So you let off, and then you cross your fingers and hope he doesn't pull you over. A mile down the road after you realize you got away with it, what do you do? You speed back up. You adjusted your behavior, but your mind didn't change. we got to change our mind. If you wonder why are you stuck in the same old sin and why is your ministry stuck in the same old rut, it's probably because minds have not changed to allow revival to enter. You need to ask that of yourself. As Carrie explained last night, revival's got to start with you individually. Ask yourself, has your mind changed and totally surrendered to Jesus Christ? Or do you think you still know a little bit better in certain areas of life than Jesus? Y'all pray this works. There we go. In Acts 3, verse 19, it says, Repent then and turn to God. Look at that. Well, if we'd have just paid attention, we knew there were two different concepts there. Repent and turn to God. Two different events. They happen at the same time, but it's two different things. Repent and then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of what? It's the same idea as revival. That times of refreshing may come. From who? From the Lord. From the Lord. In Psalm 119, and you notice I put some different versions up here. I should have them all in parentheses so you can make reference back to them. But in Psalm 119, you know, this huge psalm, right? It's got a thousand verses, not really. It's got a bunch of verses. Verse 20, I'm just going to go machine gun approach here with you, and I'll, I'll let you notice the references at the top. But the first one is in verse 25, and it says, My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your, say it with me, your word. Next, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. This is my comfort and my affliction that your word has revived me. Whoops, I skipped one. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. You notice in a trend? I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your this is a different way of saying your word. <laughs> Precepts, ordinances, word, your ways. Where does revival come from, guys? Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your... Come on, help me out here. Greater your mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your ordinances. Man, how many more are there? Okay, that was it. <laughs> That's a bunch, man. How are we going to find revival? If we don't get into the Word, we're going to have a hard time. The Word is connected to our repentance. How else do you know the will of God? How else do you know the mind of God unless you're in the Word? And if you don't know the mind of God, you don't know the will of God, then what do you know to change your mind to? 
It's all connected. If you're not spending time looking at the life of Jesus, how are you going to know how to live like him? That's what being a disciple of him is all about. How am I going to even know if I'm not spending time in his word? Another thing that we've got to do as a part of engaging the problem before we move on to the letter D, we need to pray, guys. And I don't mean like a bookend to a meeting, and I don't mean like what you do before you go to bed at night and what you do before you eat a meal, like we're checking it off our spiritual to-do list kind of thing, but I'm talking about recognizing that we have the privilege of coming before the almighty creator of the universe and he'll actually listen and we can have a conversation with him. But what do you notice about the words I highlighted there? What, are the, what is that statement called when you have an if-then? What's that called? A conditional statement. You know what unconditional is, right? It means no matter what, you're going to get it. But a conditional statement means there's some criteria you've got to meet, some prerequisites. College students understand prerequisites, right? Some stuff you got to do. And look, look at this. He says, if, that's a big word, even though it's two letters. If my people who are called humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. In other words, I'll bring revival. But guys, notice that there is a condition even on God listening to our prayers. You ever wonder why there seems to be a ceiling between your prayer and God getting it? Maybe, just maybe, we got to fulfill the if part of this. Maybe we're not humbling ourselves before we pray. Maybe we are not acknowledging the name by which we're calling on the Father in the first place. It's not really about Him. It's about being heard or it's about some selfish motivation, some selfish ambition. It's not about Him and His kingdom, but it's about me. And so maybe that's blocking or my humility, or maybe it's just downright my sin. And guys, I, I almost went here. I'm just going to make reference to it. I didn't think we had time, but y'all know the story of Achan? I'm sure I've heard it, man, if Robert's been preaching. Boy, I know he preaches on some Achan. <laughs> but Achan's this, this, this bum that lets his sin muddy the water for the whole camp. He thinks, man, well, I'm just doing this. This is in my little tent. It's hidden in my, my little space, and it's no big deal. But see, God's victorious army, they're going triumph. And then suddenly they go and they, they send their spies out to this other land, and, and they come back and they say, oh, man, we don't need all those guys. This is going to be a piece of cake. And so they send them, and guess what? They come back with their tails between their legs, whipped and dead. They lost. And it was because God had withdrawn from them. All because of one dude's sin that he kept secret. Many people died and lost their lives. Because one guy didn't want to be honest. And he wanted to cover things up. And guys, if you want God to bring revival, 
We don't need to be hiding stuff in our tents. We don't need to be clearing our cash on our computer so that someone doesn't see. We don't need to be saying we're fine when we're not. We don't need to conceal things. Man, that's how the devil operates is in the dark. And we're supposed to be children of light that bring things out into the open for the truth to be exposed so God can operate and work. My people, then I will hear. We need to pray, but we need to pray with humility, with our sins out in the open, ready to repent. And we need to do it in Jesus' name in the truest sense of that phrase. The last one is define your role in this process of revival. You say, what do you mean? Well, God has a role and you have a role in revival and we don't need to get the two mixed up. And, you know, there, there's a Hebrew word. I want you all to do this with me. I want you to make the noise like you make right before you spit a really good one. You ready? You got it? All right. Now, you Hebrew scholars will appreciate this, but that looks like chaya. <laughs> in Alabama, that's chaya. <laughs> Something weird, right? But in Hebrew, it's chaya. Chaya. <laughs> I'm probably butchering that, but that's pretty close. <laughs> I listened to it online. It's like, teach me Hebrew. Anyway, dot com. Um, <laughs> but that's the word in the Hebrew Bible for revive. Very often, though, it is synonymous with the idea of quicken or to make alive again or to live even. And so you've got to take the context of the word and, and, and look at some other things. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but you figure out whether it's revive or whether it's just live. But Ezekiel chapter 37, this is where I want to close this morning. Because I think in this text, we get to see very clearly outlined for us what is our role and what is God's role in the Chaya. Does anyone have larger print than this? I cannot see this. <laughs> I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to love you, brother. Does anybody have a Bible for real? All right, bring that up here, man. Is that some? Is that like Shakespeare or something? It's not. Is it King James? Yeah, it's King James. Serious, man. Has anybody got something other than Shakespeare? No, it's, it's not. It's not. It's not really. Okay. All right. I have all the vowels and all that. Okay. All right. Maybe it's New King James. I can live with that, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I appreciate your heart, man. All right. You the man. All right. This is definitely more readable. All right. Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven. All right. Let me get there. Whoops. Passed it. There we go. Listen for the word live. I think or it might be quicken in this one. I'm not sure. We're going to see. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. Listen to this. Clear your minds and listen. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. 
And he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Listen to that. Here's his role. That's a cool role. He says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I'll put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and flesh came upon them and the skin covered over them. But there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we are ourselves cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from them and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from the graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it. Did you hear the last part? Who spoke it? Who performed it? But wait a minute. What was the prophet's role? What did he do? He just did what he was told. He just put forth the words of God just like he was told to say it. So you see, God did it. God performed it. It was his words. It was his power that revived these bones and brought them to life. Took them up out of the grave, turned death into life. It was God that did it, but he let this prophet participate. Guys, I don't know if that excites you, man. If you don't have a Bible in your hand, boy, you need to go buy one today. And listen, this is power, man. When we speak this into someone's life, that's, it's not our creative genius. It's the Word of God, man. When I stand up and I bring this to someone's attention and I help them understand it, I break it down with them, the power is not in me or my ability. It's in the Word of God. But it can raise the dead bones to life. And that needs to start with you. This is not a thing to check off my to-do list. Got to read the Bible today. Man, this is life in your hands. Transformational power in your hands for yourself and the people you claim to love. But you see, we don't get to really say we love them until we bring this to them. 
It's easy these days, guys, for the church to drift off into and ministries to drift off into doing all this social justice kind of things. Let's go rescue girls that are being trafficked. Let's go, you know, feed the homeless and, and let's go give them some blankets and all that. Do it. Do all of that. But not to the exclusion of bringing them the thing that's going to matter for them, not for that night when it gets cold, but for eternity. Do you want revival? Do you want revival? We've got to break out the AED. We have to assess the problem. We have to engage the problem. And where does it start? With me. Ooh, yeah. With me. And then finally, we have to define our role and not step on God's toes and try to take his place. Rocks can do this job. I absolutely believe it. He don't need me. He don't need any of us. But he wants you. I pray. In fact, let's, let's end that way. I'm going to pray for all of your ministries. God, thank you for everyone here today and the ministries that are represented. Father, we find ourselves in all kinds of different contexts and all kinds of different environments, all kinds of different people that we're influencing and that you've brought and allowed to cross our paths. Father, ministry is a difficult thing. Anytime you're dealing with hard-headed human beings, it's difficult. I know you know that better than any of us. Father, give us patience. Give us um, a zeal and a, a longing to help others. Father, I guess, help, help us remember where we came from and allow that to motivate us, Father, to love more. Help us recognize our wretchedness, our pitiful nature that you brought us up out of and help that motivate us to want to do that for somebody else. God, increase our faith. Bring revival. Help us to know our place in that and to give you your rightful place. We love you and uh, pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.